Hi guys and welcome back to the Female Fitness Podcast. I'm your host Danny, and today I have the pleasure of being joined by Steph Smith who specializes in helping the creatives with the struggles they commonly experience and today's topic is going to be the prevalence of disordered eating in the performing arts and what we can potentially do to decrease the chances of people struggling with it. But first of all, Steph, could you give us a little bit of an introduction and tell us a little bit about your background in the performing arts and also then how you got into coaching? Mm. Um, Okay, so it kind of crosses over quite a lot. So when I was like a child, I was quite a sporty kid. So I got really into like athletics and like kickboxing. I was kind of a bit of a quote unquote like tomboy I guess um, my dad kind of pushed me with that in a good healthy way um, and then I got really interested in sort of like dancing so I was a typical sort of girl that used to go dancing on a Saturday morning and then it kind of increased I used to like do a lot of dance like I'd say four or five times a week minimum and then I took it sort of professionally so when I went to um, I, I started my A-levels actually and then I realised like at the time it wasn't right for me so I ended up going to like a drama school and now looking back I think god how did I do it because I was 16 at the time um, I was an absolute baby I moved to a different city um, and then I started my three-year training at a drama school so I was with like people that are well there was a few of the 16 year olds but most of them were like 18 20 21 so I was in sort of a very adult environment very early um, and then I got some jobs professionally and I started touring working on stage and then I guess how I got into sort of coaching was I got um, in between contracts if anyone like a performer's listening to this I'd understand sort of like the side hustle part of the job so you know you might find yourself waitressing or working on reception or work in front of house and I think I got to the point where I was a bit fed up of doing sort of those types of jobs um and so I was like well I know that I'm really into fitness so you know why not do my PT qualification I also got a lot of feedback of like oh you you look like a PT like you should be one whatever that means so I think that did influence me I'm not gonna lie so I think I got into it for the right reasons but also maybe the wrong reasons as well attaching like an aesthetic and dancers do have this sort of aesthetic as well and a lot of dancers or ex-performers go into the fitness industry which I'm sure we'll come and come on to um so yeah then I started coaching started um work on the gym floor and then I think from the pandemic I started officially working online and then doing a lot more like nutrition coaching and behavior change so now I um I'm a training counselor as well so I do a lot more of that and my side hustle has really become my absolute main hustle which I absolutely adore um and now I work with clients that have a similar history to me obviously not exactly the same but like you mentioned I do work with a lot of performers that have that struggle themselves so I can kind of get them from A to B understanding what they are going through or a little bit of what they're going through um so yeah that's kind of how I got into it really yeah I can understand that because one of my best friends she is trying to get into acting and so obviously she does a lot of other jobs alongside that so completely get where you're coming from um and how long did you actually work on the gym floor for, Steph? Out of interest? Um, I'd say about a couple of years. So I would say, well, two or three years. But but in the mean, in the middle of those two or three years, I was also working abroad, like on 
like in different shows so I wouldn't say it was a complete two three years it was kind of in chunks so I kind of picked up and dropped it I actually worked at like a big change in Virgin Active for um, the start of it but then I also worked into like a boutique gym in London where I could kind of pick my hours a little bit and then I had clients that were very understanding of my other job um, and so yeah then I kind of picked it up and, and sort of left it as and when um, yeah so about two or three years I'd say. Did you enjoy your time on the gym floor? I did. And I definitely enjoyed meeting the types of people that I did. But if I'm being completely transparent, I really enjoy being an online coach because I feel like I'm making a lot more impact with my client's life because you can take that wider view because you can look at their nutrition, you can look at their lifestyle. And like I say, like the different behaviors and emotional sort of I don't know relationships relational health and all of that which sounds a little bit intense doesn't it like it sounds like I'm a really nosy coach but I'm not but you just have that wider view on their life and then you can make I, I help them make those choices based on what you know as well whereas when you're on the gym floor you get them for 60 minutes and I don't know I, I personally think that I make more impact online than I did on the gym floor yeah. no I I agree with you on that and I had that discussion with someone the other day like I definitely really enjoyed my time as a one-to-one personal trainer and also learned a lot about working with people, what cues work with different people, yeah, that sort of exactly. thing. Mm. But it's like you either use those 60 minutes as it's just all training-based and you can't really coach them properly with stress management, lifestyle, nutrition, all of the holistic stuff that we work on, or you have a, a deep in-depth conversation about the other stuff and you don't get any training done so it's mm-hmm. like it, it's yeah. hard to coach people with nutrition stress management like all of the the lifestyle stuff that makes a big difference to the progress they make in the many different areas in which we help people with mm, exactly that yeah I don't think of it like that you either go down that that way or the other way where you talk about things and you don't really get much training done which I yeah, there was a couple of clients that we used to just natter and then we're like, oh, whoops, deadlifts next. Uh, okay. <laughs> yeah. And then with one-to-one PT, you find that there are some clients who they want to just come and do training. Like that yeah, is absolutely. what they want. And that's fine. Mm-hmm. But actually for, for me, and I know probably for you as well, a lot of the sati- the job satisfaction I get is from the work done outside of training. Yeah, yeah exactly. Um, and so what do we actually mean? Because obviously we we help a lot of people improve their relationship with food. What do we actually mean when we refer to a relationship with food? Yeah, it's one of those things where people are like, you can have a relationship with food, what? But we obviously hear this a lot, like it's a bit of a buzz phrase for coaches. Um, I'd say it's like how you relate to food. So, and also it's kind of like what sort of relationship costs that you have with your food so does it cost you a lot of time like preoccupation with food health um you know your relationship so it may be that you attach a lot more value onto food so when you're eating out with friends you feel guilty afterwards because you've eaten a burger um and then that can exacerbate a poor relationship with food it may be that you start looking at food um as a reward for exercise or that you compensate with exercise so it can affect your relationship with exercise as well as food as well as body so there's, there's many sort of things to it 
I actually work with clients that have disordered eating. So this isn't a diagnosis. It's not an eating disorder. It's a it's more of a descriptive way of explaining sort of their relationship with food and their eating patterns. So this could be like, you know, yo-yo dieting, emotional eating, restrictive eating um, and like a lot of you know guilt and shame around food. And I do feel that because, you know, it doesn't meet the requirements to have um, support like an eating disorder would people often think like well I'm just gonna let it sort itself out and yes you know some people can sort it out themselves but from experience you do need that external sort of coach or person that sort of understands that to help you with it um and I do think people are often left in that territory where they don't have a great relationship with food but it's not quote-unquote that bad that they just go well I'm just going to just roll with it and go on to another diet. Hopefully another calorie target is going to fix my emotional eating. And it's like, lo and behold, it doesn't. Um, so, yeah, it can really affect like body image as well, which isn't related to your body. So it's kind of completely mislabeled, really. Often they come hand in hand when a client that comes to me with a poor relationship with food. Often, not always, they do have a poor relationship with themselves and their body as well. Yeah, this is putting you on the spot a little bit, but I know you'll be fine. Um, <laughs> what is the difference between disordered eating and someone having an eating disorder? So I would say there is many crossovers because someone that has an eating disorder would also have disordered eating habits. Um, I would say disordered eating, it's less intense or less frequent behaviours of, you know, someone that has an eating disorder. Bear in mind, there's, there's many eating disorders that you can have, um, but it doesn't quite reach that requirement, like the clinical requirement to get that support. Um, so it's, a, it's like I say, it's a bit more of a descriptive phrase to sort of say that you've got um, a restrictive way of eating or emotional eating. There's there's a bit of, like I say, disorder, disordered way of eating. Um, and often, you know, people try to micromanage themselves. And often if you are, if you're feeling like, oh, I don't know if I do have it, you know, are you preoccupied by food pretty much every day? And if your answer is yes, then there's a good chance that you may be sort of, you know, in a bit of a disordered eating pattern potentially. Yeah, I sometimes like to phrase it to people as if your relationship with food needs work it probably to some extent interferes with your ability to go about your day yeah exactly and that's where it's probably a bit of a cause for concern and then obviously from there you can have a look at do you do you meet clinical eating disorder mm. sort of requirements or diagnosis yeah. and if not you might be somewhere on the spectrum where you need a little bit of help but you've not quite met that diagnostic criteria. So you might not be so far into, you know, disordered eating that you need um, quite a, an intense intervention, but you still need support. Yeah, exactly. And like you say, it's not a di diagnosis by any means, but it doesn't mean that you can't get that support. And I often actually describe it as not just a sign that, oh, are you emotionally eating frequently? Are you, you know, restricting and then overeating frequently? It's a feeling as well. It's sometimes it's a it's a, a place where you kind of know that you would like to change, but it's also a place where you feel like you don't want to change because you are, it's kind of, it sounds a bit strange, but it's kind of comforting as well um, yeah. because it's your go-to so in when I have clients um or people that just you know book in for a call with me to kind of have a chat about coaching 
um we talk about it and they're like is it weird that I don't want to let go of it but I also I know I need to and I'm like of course it is and this is why I love like you know having these conversations with people like you because it just spreads that awareness of like you know this is something that we should talk about and if people have more of an understanding of what it is then we can have you know these sort of open chats and then make change through them sort of thing yeah exactly it's like change from whatever anyone's goal is the required action in order to change is often not the most comfortable action to take mm-hmm. but it is what is necessary for your greater good and yeah, yeah. sometimes it's you know they might they might have this resistance to change because where they're currently at that is what is familiar mm-hmm. exactly but often leaning into the discomfort of doing what's necessary in order to change is is what's what's necessary to change their life for the better and like mm-hmm. almost break free from where they currently are yeah exactly. um and so you mentioned our body image and how body image struggles often come along with relationship with food struggles. What is our body image and how does it actually differ from our body composition? So body image is, um, it's, I would describe it as being in your mind, not in your body. That's a kind of a better way of sort of understanding what it is. And it's a way that you think about your body so it might be that I think I should look a certain way to get that job so as a performer I think I need to be lean all year to be constantly successful it may be the way that you um sort of I guess believe you should live as well so trying to think of an example um you know I believe I should um again look a certain way for example and then it's like the behaviors in relation to what you think feel and believe about yourself I would say as well with body image you know who who can say we've all got an exact um I guess like people's when the people look at their reflection for example or they think about their body image like it is distorted so even if you've got like a good or positive body image it is still distorted and I think that's quite a good way to to help people because we don't really get a full picture of you know what we look like day to day anyway so when we work on improving your body image it's working on improving sort of like emotional regulation or like your mood because your mood influences how you think about your body we often talk about like like clients of mine like when I feel fat for example um they'll use that expression and so instead of going well I feel fat so that must mean I am fat it's like well have you just been triggered by something and again I'm not trying to you know disregard their feelings or you know it, it could be also that their body has changed in some way but we just need to register like a trigger and then instead of going right okay this is how I feel I feel really uncomfortable in my skin right now so tomorrow I'm skipping breakfast I'm not eating carbs and then I'm just going to go full in and then at the weekend I'm going to overeat and feel enormous shame and guilt we can then go no actually I realize I feel uncomfortable then I'm going to put something in place that makes me feel a little bit more regulated a little bit calmer so moments of awareness moments of calmness um and then we can then you know keep that regular eating pattern so it helps your relationship with food and body as well and then you know we're not sat here saying like I'm sure you, you speak about this as well that you're when people have a good relationship with them, their body, a good body image, that 
they don't have bad body image days. I often think of it as like, you know, waking up in a good mood or a bad mood, but it still shouldn't affect the respect that you have for your body. So, you know, working towards like body neutrality is a bit more reachable for some people than going, I must feel positive about my body all day long because, you know, for some people that isn't possible in the beginning. So working on sort of neutral thoughts as well can also help your body image um, in that way as well. I feel like I rambled there. (laughs) No, I think that was a great answer with some really important points and purely just recognizing that obviously our body composition, that being our muscle mass, fat mass, water mass, being recognizing that that is not always directly correlated with our body image, our thoughts and feelings about our external appearance, our thoughts and feelings surrounding our bodies, recognizing Mm -hmm. that those two things are two completely separate things and that the two can change completely separately so you can have a really bad body image day without your external appearance actually changing at all Mm -hmm. recognizing that in itself can be really powerful because Mm -hmm. then on those bad body image days it enables people to take a step back and rationalize the fact that actually these thoughts are not facts and I don't have to interact with them and it doesn't Mm -hmm. necessarily mean that my actual body composition has changed and that in itself can be so powerful Yeah. And also, you know, like muscle and fat physiologically cannot change in 24 hours, but your mood can. So we can go off that. Like you say, you can register and recognize that. Oh, yeah, I'm having one of those days today. And then instead of, you know, you can be a bit more rational with what you do with those thoughts after that. Yeah. And it just enables people to to zoom out and look at the bigger picture and Mm -hmm. take a step back rather than being so like intensely involved with their thoughts when they recognize like these differences between body image and and body composition for example Mm -hmm. Uh, if someone is listening to this and they think I am starting to think that I struggle with my my body image what would be some maybe warning signs to look out for or indications that it maybe needs improvement I would say slightly a bit like food like if you've got a preoccupation with your body and you know it may be that you go to the bathroom and you feel the the constant need to either check your weight or check your appearance it might be in the form of what we call body check-ins that might be body pinching um it might be that you go to a certain area like your your stomach for example and like look at it and judge it or you know like like I say monitor it um, and I think if that is taking up a lot of headspace, then this is where we go, okay, we need to probably look at that and look at a way that we can improve and looking at other ways that we can, you know, focus and place importance on other areas of your life. Because a lot of the time, you know, we don't want to think like that. We want to live these great flourishing lives where we, you know, socialize or do all these things in our lifetime. But our preoccupation with food with food and body often takes us away from that leads to more disconnect which again is like this vicious cycle affecting your relationship with food and body so genuinely like when people are like how do I help my body image I'm like well let's focus on activities that are not related to your body yes of course the gym is brilliant we go there we get fitter and it it can help with body satisfaction knowing how your body functions and all of that but also, you know, doing like really fun hobbies with friends or on your own, like solo dates and having these other experiences that also help you with your own mood and things are a great a great way of moving your attention and focus away from your body. Yeah, no, I think that's really great advice. Are there any other sort of 
practices that you commonly use with clients that struggle with their body image to help them improve it? Um, there's quite a lot of um, like resources and um, sort of uh, quote unquote tasks that we use at like ETPHD. So it might be like a body image scale. It might be that we look at like your headspace just to see how much of your headspace literally on paper is taken up with your body thoughts. Um, it may be that we look at then implementing in the moment strategies like um i'm sure you we you know about this like body functionality like looking at sort of ways that your body um looks after you that's not related to how you look so the fact that again it sounds very dramatic but how your body keeps you alive every day the fact that your body digests food the body that it you know it travels to get you to work or it travels to get you to a concert and all of that it allows you to communicate and um show affection and all of those things um and then you know I do a lot of like mindfulness habits with clients which all like it kind of sounds a little bit airy fairy um because a lot of the time when clients are struggling with their body image they kind of want to be a bit more strict with the external habits so that might be calories and step count and training 700 times at the gym and actually what's more beneficial for them is looking more at the internal world like the inside out work I call it so, you know, whether that's journaling, getting your thoughts down onto paper, emotional regulation, like identifying any triggers. Um, and like I said earlier, sort of like moving away from the focus being all about your body through other activities that also offer you enjoyment and fun and things like that. Yeah, I love that. And so for those who are listening to this that aren't aware, how common is it for performers to struggle with their relationship with food and body image? I mean, I would say based on sort of the content that I put out and then the messaging and the shares that it gets, it's, I mean, it was very common when I trained about 10 years ago, but it's still very much relevant now. And I think that's due to, there's a lot of importance placed onto a performer um, on aesthetics because it's an image focused industry, similar to personal training really. Um, But with a performer, they're, you know, they rely on external feedback to know that they're doing a good job. So with that comes, I'd say, like a lack of boundaries because they're so used to this constant commentary, whether that's through their own talent and performance, but also, you know, body commentary through that, that I guess performers struggle with knowing that they can set boundaries. And I'd say that they struggle with being a bit of a yes person, a bit of a people pleaser, because they rely on that sort of external feedback and compliments to drive them forward. It's kind of a bit addictive. So, you know, with that, like I say, it comes with a lack of boundaries as well. Um, yeah, I think, uh, I'm trying to think of other things, but yeah, sorry, the reason why I think is is because uh, performers don't really have any sort of nutrition training in the training environment um and I don't think tutors are as educated with what body image is what you know general sort of energy balance is so like I struggled with my relationship with food in the training environment due to misinformation it wasn't necessary to do with emotional eating I'd say that happened like later in my life but I think you know, if they were slightly more informed, then they can make more choices that are a bit more aligned instead of it being like, you know, using diet culture to fuel elite performance. Because I think as well, like people don't realise the amount of athleticism and artistry that goes into making like a successful dancer. Um, But, you know, again, there's no sort of nutrition support like a footballer would get. And I'm not, you know, sat here saying that every sport has got it right, 
but I do know that a lot more sport has a lot more um support and also there's more research into different sport but it's almost like dance is kind of like disregarded and it's like well, it's not a proper sport and it's like well it kind of is really like do you know what these people do day to day um and so with that comes you know a lot of health impacts as well like a lot of dancers struggle with hypothalamic amenorrhea and due to that high energy energy um high energy expenditure low energy intake and then stress which are the main contributors to hypothalamic amenorrhea where a, a girl loses their period which causes you know not very good things to be honest but this is yeah. something that they don't know about I've been into drama schools myself talking about body image and then sort of talking about hypothalamic amenorrhea and they're like sorry what is that a tongue twister I'm like well it is actually yeah but it also is something that can really impact your health and affects your bone mineral density it's why you're probably suffering with you know fractures and breaking your bones it's not because you're weak it's because your diet and your energy expenditure is, is affecting your health um so I think if it was more spoken about more awareness in the training environment more education for students and tutors I think that there would be greater change um I obviously coach performers and I can re-educate but god what a difference it would be if they got that as well in the environment where they're the most influenceable is that a word probably not but they're the most influenced at that age because they're like a young adult aren't they yeah and I don't know if it's like this in dancing the performing arts but in a lot of other sports and obviously in bodybuilding as well, amenorrhea, which for anyone listening, amenorrhea is like the absence of a regular menstrual cycle. Um, that is sort of, it's almost accepted as something that is almost sometimes like a bit of a badge of honour and mm-hmm. something that is just normalised within certain sports and definitely within bodybuilding. Is that the case within dance as well and the performing arts? I would say so obviously you know I'm generalizing quite a lot as well today there's not you know not everyone um would agree but I do think that there's this mentality of like success at any cost that a performer adopts or a dancer adopts to be obviously to be successful and so for them if they lose their period it's like well you know it's what it is and because like I say tutors aren't really informed in this area if a student was to tell them about it I don't think tutors know the impact of that and their long-term health as well so it's not like they're like oh this is a bit of a warning sign where's you know my go-to people in this school or college that I can bring in to help this student it's kind of like this okay don't really know what we're doing here sort of thing um but yeah I definitely agree with that there's it's it's funny how you know like I say because the performance world you know you're, you're sort of told like you're quite replaceable and yes you're replaceable in a lot of industries but I think in this industry it's so vocalized and it's um it's a thing like you know that there's someone else that could do this job as well so there's that fight for attention and fight for that job so you don't really care about your health especially at that age where you know if I started talking to a 20 year old about their bone health they're like kind of like well it's not really a thing now is it and it's like well no it is a thing now it's affecting you now and it's going to really affect you later in life but it they don't place that importance on their health yet because you know, they'd rather look that way to get that job. Yeah, there's so many crossovers hearing you talk about it between performing and bodybuilding in the the way that you're judged on your external appearance. There's obviously 
it's very saturated in both of them now bodybuilding is very very popular and people sort of are very they're so focused on the here and now and the immediate goal that they really struggle to take a step back and look at the bigger picture and they end up with the mindset of I will do anything to mm-hmm. perform my best on the day whether that be in bodybuilding in a bodybuilding show or whether that be in dancing but they're not really aware of how detrimental their actions now can really be on the rest of their life and what kind of impacts they can actually have and so on that note what other than obviously not being able to have a baby what Mm -hmm. other consequences come with not having a regular menstrual cycle or could potentially come with that so it it lowers your bone mineral density so that's why you know dancers are prone to injury and also prone to breaking bones later in life um it can really affect um your hair health and skin health and this sounds a little bit backwards but when i work with clients that are not really that interested about bone health yet but i say look it's impacting it's going to impact your skin it's going to impact your health um your hair um but also it's going to impact your body composition as well it you know all of those things because it's aesthetic based they it it tends to kind of land better and I know that sounds a little like I say a bit bit you know not right but it's a way that I can get them to listen and go okay actually maybe I should pay this attention to then go oh yeah and it also leads to heart disease you know all of these greater things in life that you know when they're a bit older they're like oh I wish I you know just treat myself with a bit more respect but I'm not sat here judging anybody because this environment is it, it exacerbates all of these problems um and like you said earlier it kind of it's almost like a badge of honor really so this conversation I think is helpful and you know the more people know about it the more people can go actually that's a bit of a red flag here let's you know make sure we're fueling right and you know like with um bodybuilders you know I don't know enough to start talking about it but I know that there's a lot of similarities that on their you know on their competition day obviously they're probably not their peak health and similar to a dancer you know but then the dancers expected to do you know eight shows a week um you know in the west end or whatever um or you know three hour show or on a cruise or whatever like there's and then they wonder why they're so emotionally and physically fatigued um and that's a, a reason why a lot of you know performers kind of leave the industry because they think that they don't have the strength for it and it's like well you you do actually but it's probably due to your own um way that you view your health and the aesthetic uh, the aesthetic that you've attached to uh, this industry that's made you go I don't want to do it anymore which is so sad because a lot of people especially dancers they've been doing it since age three they're doing their passion which are not a lot of people in the world do and then they're leaving it because they're not very well so yeah I mean oh god I'm getting really passionate now um but yeah this is obviously something that I I, I talk about a lot um with with people I work with so yeah the more we like I say the more we talk about it hopefully the yeah. better passion is good stuff we love to see it so that's fine we absolutely love to see it um and in terms of your background in the performing arts have you ever struggled with amenorrhea or any struggles with your relationship with food or body image personally yes absolutely um so I'd say my third year where there's a lot of um I'd say it's like another 
year change at third year again if anyone's listened to this that's a drama student I think they'll nod along with this because you've got your agent showcase to pre- prepare for there's a lot of I guess expectation and I think I I didn't lose my period for that long I think it was like three or four months which again isn't a good thing um but at that point all I cared about was like oh am I pregnant no okay it's all right then so you kind of just moved on and that was that but now I look back and go gosh I'm glad that sort of sorted itself out again not a lot of people that experience HA and I don't I didn't medically get diagnosed with HA either by the way so I don't really know if I did have it but you know signs are showing that it was heading that way um and it's not now until I look back and go gosh Yes, like I'm so glad, like I know a lot more about it now. Um, And then I would say when I was touring, so I think a lot of people that struggle with their relationship with food take a bit of comfort knowing that they can cook in their own kitchen every night. But when you're on tour, you're living in hotel rooms, different apartments, on the road, getting trains or planes, you know, it's, it's all very you have to be flexible. But when you've got a disordered way of eating, you quite rigid and you may attach like I say more value to food so when you go out with your castmates and it's like two two for one on burgers and they're like yeah that's a cheap option let's go for that and you're like oh, I can't eat that though because I've attached more value to that and it's you know quote unquote bad so then I'd feel this like immense guilt because I've eaten a burger even though I've just done you know a lot of work physically and I need carbs um so then it would kind of exacerbate this like guilt shame cycle and then I'd use you know the gym to kind of compensate as well and yeah so I think it wasn't until I really I mean I would say this was still happening when I like got into this industry the fitness industry um it probably exacerbated it even more two image focused industries awesome um (laughs) picked really well um but then I think it wasn't until I started to do my own education on nutrition where I was like oh energy balance oh protein okay this makes sense oh my hair feels a lot healthier now like oh I'm eating more awesome um I feel stronger awesome um so yeah and then like body composition changed because of my education and then I got really interested in that but then like I say and like you know Danny like you know you can't fix everything with education it brings a level of awareness but there also needs to be like that emotional regulation which I think I work with clients that have actually got a lot of um education around food that isn't really the the issue quote unquote um it's more that we just need to you know understand why they're overeating at different times or why they're restricting and sort of looking at the more I'd say like I said earlier like the inside outwork um and the internal habits as well as like you know external stuff like protein etc so yeah again another ramble there but that's kind of I'd say two main areas was drama school was um, losing my period and then I'd say just my misinformation in the touring environment kind of exacerbated a bit of guilt that I had around food in my early 20s yeah and how did you personally first of all when did you realize that your relationship with food maybe needed work and how did you go about improving it um I do feel like it happened I, I, I you know what I started following people that were talking to me on Instagram so people like Amelia Thompson people that I was like oh they're talking more than just like I say about calories and protein and all that boring stuff um and I think I did listen to a lot of podcasts as well and and like I say some people can really help themselves through that work but some people need coaches and I've and I've also worked with coaches as well that have helped um 
I think as well, one of the big things for me was when I started to get a little bit more objectified in shows. So when people would like random people would comment on the way that I looked and felt this because, you know, I'm, I'm this object on stage, essentially, they you you wouldn't realize like there's a lot of people that just comment on you because they think that they can. And then that was starting to really annoy me. And then I think I did a little bit more sort of, um, I guess, research, I'd say, maybe, or reading, I'd say, into self-objectification. And I know this sounds proper cringe, but it was really empowering because I was like, oh, this is why I'm, I'm feeling this way in my body. So I've got that better understanding of myself. And that made me more compassionate and it made me kinder. And I just, I don't know, I just dropped the sort of rules and the standards, like this expectation that I've got to maintain like a, you know, a lean body all year round and realising that's not actually a healthy sign. And I'm someone that values health. I want to live a long life and actually, you know, not being lean doesn't mean um, not being healthy. So I guess it was just probably layers of understanding, working with different coaches, finding my sort of area in fitness um, and following people that speak to me. I think that really helped. Yeah. In terms of the relationship with food and body image issues that a lot of performers struggle with, do you think social media sometimes exacerbates these issues? And if so, how? Yes, I think social media is like a constant sort of like comparison fest. And I think sort of like going back a little bit. So when I was at drama school, like TikTok wasn't a thing. And I think Instagram may have been, I'm not sure. Facebook definitely was. Anyway, my point is now when when a girl goes into a training environment at 16, 18, they've been on TikTok since they were 13. And that's a, an age where their body's changing anyway, because they're going through puberty. So they're getting this again, commentary from family, uh, family or friends, and then they're seeing body types on social media. And that's part of objectifying experiences, you know, the way that women are represented in the media the way that they're praised for losing weight the way that they're sort of I guess made fun of for changing in some way or you know that pressure to I guess get back to that body after having a baby like women experience those pressures growing up so then I think having that background of social media from that age then going into a training environment there's that comparison in um the studio there's that comparison because you're around mirrors all day and then you go home and you scroll on social media following probably people that you admire that have this aesthetic so it's again it's like where's that break where's that way that you can just kind of go oh I just don't need to look at other bodies or I don't need to compare myself um yeah and you know it is research as well it's not just an opinion you know media does have a massive effect on our body image um and it does contribute to self-objectification. Um, so I recommend that, you know, if anyone's listening, that you do look at who you're following and, you know, maybe mix up your feed a little bit, like different body types, you know, even people that have different opinion to you. Um, I think that can really help. And then just, you know, having a bit of a boundary with social media and, you know, maybe don't reach for your phone if you're feeling a little bit unsettled, you know, because then you're going to see something that probably will contribute to you feeling a little bit worse so we can't you know 
be wrapped up in like bubble wrap all our lives um and you've got to be sort of parenting yourself a little bit but if you know that about yourself I'll put my hands up I sometimes get a little bit triggered let's say um on social media so I'm not going to go on it at times where I feel a little bit unregulated or dysregulated I should say so those are sort of little tips I would suggest um but yeah if sorry rambling there again but yes I do think social media really influences like body image it was a very relevant ramble we love it so (laughs) I completely agree and I speak to my clients a lot about being intentional with social media because it can be a really good thing if you use it for the right reasons and if you're intentional with your usage for example like you said in moments where you're feeling vulnerable where you're struggling a little bit mentally for whatever reason so you've had something go on in your personal life don't go on social media because you're Mm -hmm. probably not going to use it in a very positive light whereas if you go on it when you're creating or when you're wanting to connect with other people when you're wanting to catch up with your friends when you're in the right mindset to be inspired Mm -hmm. then it can be such a great thing but what worries me now is how young people are going on social media because I can't imagine having had TikTok and Instagram reels and things like that at the age of what early teens yeah I think it's 13 you can legally have TikTok I think which is crazy especially because people on TikTok are so brutal in (laughs) the comments and things like that like they're just awful so I obviously there's this element of being intentional with your social media usage having boundaries which is great for people like us and people who are older but it's just it it scares me a little bit how early people are going on social media now and the impact that that could have on them mm, yeah it, it is impacting them um there's um I'd spoke about this before um about there's new data that suggests that young girls are more interested on in how they look when it comes to their body whereas boys again talking in quite binary terms but boys are more interested in how their body functions and you know like the functional components of their body so it's very very different and I'm not saying you know girls got it harder but I do think they're objectified differently to boys um and yes like I say you know men have their own um pressures with performance and looking that way certain way as well and what's attractive and what isn't and all of that but it you know this data is it's it's really scary and I just think you know I don't know who we need to talk to about this there's many people I think but there needs to be something done really like whether there's more information again I don't know enough about like primary schools and and really even secondary schools like what they have in place I'm sure there there is talk of it there's got to be it's got to be progressive these conversations but you know it is it's it's terrifying and you know this probably sounds a little bit horrific and scary but I'm just going to say it anyway because it absolutely horrified me but there's this hashtag on TikTok called SH which is self-harm and it's where basically girls or guys are teaching other people to um how to self-harm that is going around and TikTok. And that's actually allowed and well I, I don't think it's something that people are endorsing but it's not been you know banned not been removed no and I and just to kind of compare it a little bit the other day I wasn't allowed to add collab with on Instagram federal problem but basically I in last I think it was like last summer like I um went against community guidelines because I shared this message that a man sent me which was really inappropriate but I got banned for sharing it and then so there's this like 
you know, lockdown on people, you know, sharing that content, even though it wasn't my message that I that I wrote. But then there's that going on on TikTok. And you're like, what is going on? That is so messed up. Yeah. Even on TikTok, this is complete tangent, but the other day I got a community guidelines violation for sharing a podcast preview on TikTok. And I was like, excuse me. <laughs> when there's... <laughs> I was like, I've not violated any guidelines. <laughs> Plus, how can they say that when like there's stuff like that allowed that they're yeah. not taking down? I just don't understand. No, I don't get it. But because like like I say, these are these community guidelines. I don't know if it's Instagram and TikTok that are joined or Instagram and Facebook. I don't know enough about it anyway. But we're getting all of these like violation things left, right and centre, basically silencing us because we don't want to do anything wrong because it then Instagram removes sort of, I guess, features that we need as like coaches, business people to, you know, utilise on Instagram. But then there's this going on. It's it, I just I don't understand. and I don't understand yeah. how what the filter is on TikTok. Obviously, there isn't one. Do you think as well, this is a bit of a social media tangent, but do you think the use of filters that sort of distort the shape of people's faces and obviously editing apps where people can change the shape of their bodies, do you think that can have a negative effect on people's body image as well? Yeah, 100%. It, it can link, um, well, it can lead to like, mental disturbances, actually. Um, people think, you know, as a coach, I might get someone that is telling me that they're really not confident in their skin and their body and they don't like the way that they look, but then they may be someone that shares so many selfies and you think, well, that doesn't make sense. It's like, no, it does actually, because they're looking for that, you know, external hit of like, oh, you look great today or, you know, a like. And social media is this constant like fest. Um, and so if you've got this app where it's distorting your face to a face that you feel a bit more comfortable with, then in the real world, you're going to feel a bit more well, you might feel a little bit uh, vulnerable to seeing people because you're like, oh no, they're so used to seeing this quote-unquote perfect version of me. Now I'm going to you know, not go to my friend's reunion party because I don't think I actually look like that. And then it, again, it exacerbates a bit of a shame and guilt cycle, affects your relationship with food, often overeating restricting going on, and then leads to social disconnection, which again is a big vicious cycle. Yeah. And obviously then that can lead to other mental health issues as well. I think it's it's quite scary putting some of like I've tried some of the filters. I don't use them on Instagram purposefully because I don't want to use them. But like I've had a look at some of them before and the way that they distort your face is absolute madness. Like some of them, you look completely different, but some people use them every single day. Yeah, I know. I know. And, you know, there's no judgment here. We are, you know, we, we know we're in an objectifying society. We've been conditioned to want to change. Diet culture has set, like, fed us this message. So again, working with clients that often have this going on, there is no judgment here. Mm. I think there's just that understanding that, you know, I know like from sort of like talking to you and your content, like that messaging that we, you know, give out to potential people that we work with or just anyone that stumbles across our Instagram that, we just need to know that it, it is normal like as in to, to yeah. want to do that and there's no judgment but then it's not you know editing your face is not going to help your body image 
dieting further isn't actually going to help your body image there is other ways to help that and also you know I help clients with aesthetic changes I'm definitely not sat here saying that you cannot change the way that you looked I think that's another problem people that do that diet culture and anti-diet um but there's a way that we probably both of us go about it if we can see those little signs where I'm like mm, maybe we don't need to look at dieting as a primary focus right now it's like focus on other things and you know widen their um I guess view on health and realizing that social health is part of their health and relational health and emotional health and all of that yeah and some people will probably come to you right and this certainly happens with me as well is they'll come to you seeking fat loss but what really needs addressing is their relationship with food, their body image. They actually want to feel better. And sometimes fat loss will help with that. But other times it's down to other areas of life that need addressing, other areas of health that need addressing. And actually when those areas have had the attention that they need, there's no need to then pursue fat loss. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I have that quite a lot, actually, where people are like, yeah, this is my goal. We're going for it and we go for it. And then on the way there, because we're doing all of the body image work, because it's so important to work on your body image when you're working towards changes in body um, and you're doing all these mindfulness techniques that they go, do you know what, Steph? I feel a bit awkward, but I don't really want to do this anymore. Like, I don't want to pursue it. And they feel a bit guilty. So it's like, am I giving up? I'm like, no, you're redirecting. Like, this is great feedback. Um, so, yeah, that's really common as well. People pursue something and then they realise in the process that that's not what they want. Yeah, 100%. And if anyone listening to this is currently struggling with their body image or relationship with food or both, what advice would you give to them and are there any ways in which we could help these people reach out because sometimes there are obviously barriers yeah. that they have towards that yeah no that you're right that it's not just easy as like sending a message but hi I'm Steph and you can always send me a message if, yeah. if you want to um but I would say I mean how how long have you got <laughs> there's many angles really I think so sorry just to go over your question is it just to improve people reaching out for help or to generally help their relationship with food and body generally first of all reaching out in the first place like if they have barriers against that if they find they're really they feel quite intimidated and scared to reach out what advice would you give those people first of all well hopefully you hearing the fact that I've you know, suffered with disordered eating and had a bit of a funny relationship with food. And I'm on the other end of that, also working with clients and really helping them that it, it is normal. And I hope that these talk, like types of conversation, you know, normalizes that people do go through it. But it's because I think there's that a judgment that we attach to that. It stops people from, from reaching out. So it's very easy for me to say this. I, drop the judgment just message but I think you know that is kind of standing in your way of of maybe making a bit of progress and maybe the the bit of progress that you need is just reaching out to someone that you feel comfortable with and maybe you follow someone for a while get to know their messaging and their ethos or you may be you like the way that they speak and you feel comfortable talking to them and then go to that person and um and have that conversation um I think you kind of with that sort of barrier you kind of have to go through it to to go through it does that make any sense no 100 percent. and (laughs) I think people recognizing that after they have made that initial step of reaching out they will often feel like a weight has been lifted off their shoulders Mm -hmm. can be really reassuring and just knowing that 
like as fitness professionals there's never any judgment from us and it genuinely makes us happy to be able to help people so people reaching out is not a burden there's no judgment and we just want to help yeah I don't think people realize when they talk to me it's like it's news to me it's like the first time I've heard this obviously everyone's individual you're not the same person but this is like you know it's my job like I hear this all the time I talk about it all of the time so you know I love talking about it as well clearly um so yeah you know try just try to just put yourself out there maybe and like I say find a coach that you resonate with or a person that you like um and then you know whether you get coached by someone that it's going to help you and has evidence of helping people in that that area then go for that but also you know following different like podcasts like this um following people that have that messaging that can you know like that understand body image because one of my pet hates is is coaches not throwing shade but some coaches will talk about body image and then post like a before and after picture and talk about body image and it's like I have got nothing against before and after pictures but then talking purely about body image and you know saying it's transformed the way that they think about themselves it's like well actually they may have improved their body uh, image I don't know that but it's not from changing their body it's from all the internal work that may not have been mentioned in that post so try not to be sucked in by like sort of that messaging um as well and like I say do your own research like self-objectification look at body image what it actually means how you can help that like I say I put out a lot of free content to help you with that as well um and yeah I don't I I mean other than being coached there's lots of free resources like um our podcast as well has a lot of um free content on there too ETPHD podcast um so yeah you, you can find the help but I am a big believer sometimes you need that coach to keep you accountable Um, and there's nothing wrong with that like I have a coach as well so 100% and is there anything that anyone could do as a parent to a child getting into the performing arts that you think might help prevent some of these issues that can arise from a relationship with food or body image perspective yeah I do think that obviously it, uh, without saying like you know it's a it's a parent's fault that a person suffering with their relationship with food later in life but I think knowing that attaching sort of like moral value onto food so having neutral language around food also it may be that you don't comment on your child's body because you know no that's not right but you comment on your own body in front of them and you're like t- you know kind of saying not very nice things about yourself or saying oh I don't deserve that food you know the, the kids are sponges and they're gonna basically pick up on the fact that what I look like is the most important thing about me and then my ability and personality not the other way around so yeah just I'd say be a bit more neutral around the language around food generally um, around yourself and if you're someone that's trying to improve their health um then I, I, again, I might be wrong here, but I have the opinion to include your child. So, you know, if you're you're doing things like weighing food and counting calories, I don't think that's a good message. But if you're saying, oh, I'm, you know, I'm really trying to improve my health, I'm going to eat some more protein, um, I'm going to include more vegetables and like have it a bit more of like an inclusive approach rather than, oh, mummy or daddy's got to take away their potatoes or I've got to take away my fries for this meal because it's not, good for me um I think that can really be helpful having that inclusive uh, language as well around food um yeah I think they're my probably main points with 
parenting, but I'm not a parent, so I'm not going to like sit here pretending like I'm an expert in that area. <laughs> I think there were great points and obviously neither of us are parents. However, we all know that our own relationship with food to some extent will have a knock-on effect on on those around us especially children who are very impressionable so yeah, yeah. if a parent is struggling with their own relationship with food it will likely have a really positive impact on their children's relationship with food if they work on their own mm-hmm. yeah exactly and I do get clients that are like oh I'm a bit worried about my child so I really want to make this change for myself and my child I'm like that's amazing you know not a lot of people think like that because they don't really realize the influence that they have on their child's life in that way um so yeah if you're in a position where you can improve your relationship with food then go for it because your your kid will benefit from that 100% even like partners and things like that it rubs off on them Mm. if you think about like being in a really close-knit relationship someone's eating habits will definitely have the potential to rub rub off on the other partner so Mm. even from that perspective it can have an influence Mm. do you sorry it's a question which reminded me when you just said that do you have um like what do you do when for example someone's come to you and they're working on their relationship with food but for example their partner is bit more rigid like what what's your approach with that do you have any approaches with it yeah I think I'm trying to think of an example of a specific client because I've definitely had a few clients in that situation but Mm. I think it's just important for each for them to communicate first of all communication is absolutely key Mm. and it depends on the dynamic like if they could be very supportive partnership in which case it's going to work really well it could be quite the opposite where the other partner who is being quite rigid is almost trying to influence the partner who's trying to work on their relationship with food and body image to be more rigid and is maybe having a negative impact and depending on the dynamic would depend on how I guess you would treat it and address it Mm -hmm. um but there maybe needs to be conversations about boundary setting if there is a partner who is quite rigid and maybe tries to influence the other partner to be that way Mm -hmm. and just open communication about right this is what my goal is and I really need your help and support in order to achieve that goal Mm -hmm. and so can we have boundaries around certain conversations maybe and can we be clear that like my actions are necessary in order to achieve my goal of improving my body image and relationship with food and if I was to adapt some of your adopt some of your behaviors that could be quite detrimental for me mm-hmm. and explaining that and at the end of the day if a partner has your best interest they should support and respect your goals mm-hmm. um so yeah yeah no no yeah no I was just interested because to be fair very similar like boundary setting straight away but yeah it's something that is common and I think like hopefully someone listen to this because let's face it 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 does happen it is quite common for you to be on different pages when it comes to your relationship with food but even just saying look we don't have to eat the same thing we don't have to talk about it but you know you telling me that that's not a good thing to eat is actually not helping my relationship with food right now so let's just not talk about that at that time Also, I think if there is that dynamic where, say, there's one partner who's very rigid and there's another partner who's working on their overall health, body image, relationship with food, trying to be a bit more flexible, inclusive, health focused. 
if I was coaching the partner who was being more health focused, I would maybe try and get them to have a conversation with the rigid partner about how it might be beneficial to have a meal a week where they relax together, they cook together and explaining Mm -hmm. the benefits of that and how that's not going to have a detrimental effect on their progress towards their goals, Mm -hmm. whether they, you know, I don't know, macro track that meal that they have together or whether they actually let go of tracking for that for that meal and really relax around it. It's probably going to have a beneficial impact on their goals, even if they are a bodybuilder or whatever that might be. So could there be a conversation and could they meet in the middle somewhere? Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. At certain times. Yeah, and also understanding that, you know, even if you have the most exact diet as well, so from a physiological point of view, it doesn't mean it's going to be the same, you're not going to look the same. I think there's this belief like diet culture teaches us that we've got to eat this amount for to achieve this body. And it's like, you can't, you know, spot reduce, you can't do all those things. And if you think that, oh, your partner eats a little bit more than you or a little bit less than you, it probably isn't going to impact you in the way that you think it might as well. So I guess that comes down to a greater understanding as well together. And like you say, you know, you, you we're not trying to draw you apart. You'll be trying to, you know, bring you back together in some way, but it is really common. Um, and it can be a very touchy subject as well in relationships. Yeah, definitely. Like I said, I'm sure I've got a specific example, but I'm trying to think of one. I can't think of one right now. It's annoying me, but oh, um, so yeah. <laughs> oh no, don't worry. There's like, yeah, there's there's so many different ways in which you could approach it, but I yeah, definitely loads of ways. I think I would definitely try to explain the benefits of being more flexible to the partner who's more rigid as well, and maybe try and meet in the middle and at least make yeah. time for each other. You know, you've got whether whatever the dynamics of the relationship are and whatever your goals are, you've got to have time where you're making time for each other throughout the week at some point so whatever that looks like there needs to maybe be an element of compromise Mm. so yeah yeah and sitting down is really good mindful eating so we want to sit down and not eat on the go which I think a lot of busy people do yeah maybe we could teach the rigid partner to be more mindful and (laughs) that would have a positive impact on their stress management and therefore their training (laughs) performance and their recovery and their body composition so great we've fixed it all exactly (laughs) um fixed everything and do you think there are any ways in which we could as a parent stop these issues from occurring like all together I know we've spoken about some of the things that might help but is there any ways in which we could maybe say their child is like first going into the performing arts could they maybe put any preventative measures in place or talk to them about how there might be these things that occur or these conversations that had that could cause issues maybe help prevent them through conversation I don't know yeah no I mean I think you've answered it like having that open dialogue all of the time I think it's really helpful you know there gets a a point especially at that age where they're maybe at drama school where they feel a bit like oh I don't really need to tell my mum and dad that um but knowing that there's that space for them without judgment where they can go oh actually I did feel a bit like this and I feel like I should lose weight and all of those things and then the parent instead of going no 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 or judging or going yes you need to lose weight like it just be a bit more like listening I think people often don't listen as well um in those conversations but I think um you know knowing that social media can impact your teenager um and maybe suggesting to them like you know even though your friends are on it 
24-7. It doesn't mean you have to be, um, you know, maybe reaching out for counselling support. Again, I know this maybe sounds a little bit extreme, but everybody could benefit from a bit of therapy. Um, and I know that's um, not always possible for people. Um, yeah, and I get a bit of nutrition education, which I don't know if that should be a parent's job or the school's job to provide. But yeah, there's 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 many ways practical nutrition education and actually maybe having that discussion with um your child at that age not at 12 at more like 18 years old where you're like do you feel a bit more comfortable in, in your nutrition knowledge like where's your gap of knowledge okay should we look at that should we look at some courses i don't know be a bit more like inclusive in terms of like oh we can do this together um i need to learn this will benefit all of our family if we did this together maybe i'm very much thinking out loud right now um and yeah, and also if you know that your child is suffering with their body image, then so I'd say if you feel like you're um, you're complimenting your child a lot, that that isn't actually as helpful as you think it is, because that's going to sort of confirm to them that, you know, their body is most important and that I'm going to be judged every time I go home to mum and dad. So, you know, not talking about bodies all of the time, not talking about other people's bodies, not talking about your own body. And I know that sounds a little bit extreme. Um, and of course, you can compliment people aesthetically and physically, but it not be the you know first thing that you talk about or the only thing that you talk about, I think is really helpful. Yeah, I think that's great advice. I've actually also just thought, going back to the question you asked me, of an example of this client is probably listening to this podcast as well, but she has now moved away from tracking and she she's in such a great space from like a body composition health perspective and she's very relaxed around nutrition, very social. Her partner is is very rigid and mm -hmm. is your traditional like will will track quite meticulously. And for their relationship, it's actually been really good because it's seeing her transition away from tracking and become more relaxed and continue to progress towards her body composition and performance and health related goals. That has actually it's had a positive impact on his relationship with food because he's realized that it is possible. And he's seen that that in front of him, obviously on a daily basis because mm. they're in a relationship. So that's an example of where it's actually had a really positive impact and it's enabled him to relax a little bit more around social occasions, whereas before he would struggle with that. Mm. So yeah, yeah it, it can have a really positive impact. And that's an example of that. I obviously won't name any names, but she'll probably be listening to this. And like going, oh, she's got me. Yeah, yeah not an alarm. Yeah, yeah. that's really so good. Really but yeah, like if even if you treat your relationship with food quite separate to your partner, but then they see the benefit that you got from working with your coach or just you know working on your relationship with food on yourself on your own, that they can go, oh, actually, maybe I don't know everything, and maybe this isn't the only way we can be healthy. <laughs> yeah, exactly, and still progress towards the end of the day. You know, you don't have to be super meticulous and rigid with your approach to mm -hmm. see progress. And sometimes relaxing a little bit more and being less rigid can result in more progress. Yeah, because stress management improves, recovery improves, hormone function improves. And I've seen that with multiple clients now. They've actually relaxed a little bit and their progress has improved. Yeah, I hate to say it because I feel like it's almost like a selling point to help someone's 
like for them to only for, for them to drop their standards just because it can help them aesthetically but genuinely people think like lowering their standards means literally lowering their standards but it just means creating more action through imperfect action and actually you then get there because you're less stressed and you actually can it's sustainable when you can do it and maintain it which is the point um so yeah really good point yeah and this last question is I'll explain a little bit of background for context. So Charlie, who anyone listening to the podcast probably knows who Charlie is anyway, because we work together. She is um, who I have set up the Flourishing Society with. And she posted a reel on sucking in and the sort of unrealistic standards that can create through social media and things like that. And people always, you know, sucking their stomach in in their progress pictures and that's obviously something that is encouraged for bodybuilders when they're on stage and dancers when they're on stage mm-hmm. or their performers because they're conscious of their external appearance, often their midsection. Mm-hmm. And so they'll suck in all the time. And we actually had a sex therapist comment on this reel and reply to Charlie's reel saying that it causes a lot of problems with pain during sex mm-hmm. and also bladder issues as well. Have you ever experienced any sort of physical health issues as a result of constantly holding your stomach in or like heard of that in the performing arts world? Um, Personally, I think it's contributed. I don't know if this is right, but I feel like I've had like bloating problems maybe from that. I don't know, obviously, probably from other things as well. Um, But then what you said about like performing and like dancers potentially doing it, like, yes, you're right, like especially for pictures, because they know that they're being looked at of course a bit like a bodybuilder you kind of want to you know suck it in and whatever but also for like people that are not just dancers but they sing and they're acting and they need to use their breath and they need to actually breathe out and breathe into their diaphragm and all of that like it expands your stomach and that's a good thing because that's how you utilize it um so yeah it, it can be problematic and I actually do remember in the training environment like vocal coaches being like come on just breathe out like don't be so scared of showing your stomach we all have them um but yeah that yeah that's such a good point and I didn't even think of it impacting like other areas of health as well so yeah you'll have to send me this sex therapist uh, Instagram handle (laughs) apparently which it makes sense apparently it has um an impact on your pelvic floor muscles Mm -hmm. and your ability to contract and relax them which can then obviously cause um issues with your bladder and that side of things but also it when you're constant obviously it makes sense if you're constantly like sucking in and contracting all these muscles you're going to really struggle to relax then when it comes to obviously having sex and things like that and then you've got the body image issues on top of that which probably exacerbate that even more so it's an interesting point that I thought was Mm. worth mentioning and someone I know of actually comes from a dancing background and has also struggled with her body image and she is constantly sucking in and she has issues with pain during sex so it's an interesting correlation I guess it's not something that you can really you can't say oh it's definitely because of this because there could be so many things that could cause that yeah but it's an interesting point 
yeah it's a oh yeah it's definitely an interesting one and it will of course contribute like it doesn't matter if it's like by 10 percent or 90 percent it's still contributing isn't it so it's worth talking about um and I learned something new today so there we go <laughs> it's crazy though the impact that these little things can have on your overall health and your life as a whole not just in the immediate moment but in the future as well and I think that's a really important point that I sort of wanted to make during this podcast is that these struggles that you guys who are listening might be having at the moment it's not just about the here and now Mm -hmm. it's about the impact that that's having on not just food not just like your training but actually your overall life yeah yeah exactly and it to then someone can listen to this and identify with that and go oh that's me and then it brings that conversation and then you might have the courage to then go hey Danny or hey Steph like you spoke about this in the podcast episode and then it encourages people to talk about it more doesn't it so yeah so worth having this chat so interested in that as well I want to go like google it now (laughs) (laughs) no it's been such a pleasure having you on Steph and it's been such a, a valuable discussion where can people find you if they want to reach out or find out about more of your services um simply through I'd say Instagram I do actually have TikTok um, but I would go with Instagram that's normally where I'm at on social media and that's um my handle is at Steph underscore ET PhD coaching um and I work with a team and like I say I do specialize working with creatives especially but not not just creatives basically people that are disordered have disordered eating patterns and struggle with their relationship with food and body um so yeah just send me a message anytime I I literally am the most or the least um intimidating person I hope you got that from this podcast episode like I'm yeah I love chats as well so please do reach out if um if you'd like to Perfect. If anyone wants to find Steph, I'll put her details in the description down below. Thank you so much for listening as always. And I will see you next week. Thank you.